Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Sue Nofka, Lead Fund Manager of the Schroeder Income Growth Fund. Sue has been Head of UK Equities at Schroeder since 2019 and is also Co-Fund Manager of the Schroeder Prime UK Equity Fund. She was a founding member of the Prime team in 2006 and has been head of the Prime UK equity team since 2013. Sue has been a fund manager of UK equities for institutional clients since 1993 with analytical responsibilities for the insurance, tobacco and retail sectors in the UK market from 1990 to 1992. Her investment career commenced at Schroeder's in 1989, and she has an honorary doctorate degree from Aston University and a degree in business administration and biochemistry, also from Aston University. So if we could um, start from the very beginning, as they say, the Schroeder Income Growth Fund, could you talk us through your investment objective and and indeed the policy, please? So the investment objectives for the the trust are really interesting in that it is to provide a good level of income for investors uh, and to grow that over time. And also to to deliver capital returns to investors. So it's a total return product with an emphasis on income generation. Okay. And um, in terms of um, sector and and geographical allocations, how do they look for the fund? So at the moment, the fund is totally focused on UK equities. It's a fantastic space for generating income. But the fund does have the ability to go overseas up to 20%. Uh, and as an investment trust, it can also deploy gearing, which we, we do take advantage of. Um, at the moment, the UK equity market offers recovering income, uh, as well as exposure to, to companies that have maintained good levels uh, of dividend income during the, the difficult years of, of pandemic. And compared to international markets, um, that's pretty attractive for a trust of this nature. So to put a a bit of colour into that, and very interesting that you should be uh, pretty much UK focused at the moment. Could you maybe mention one or two of your uh, sort of top holdings or positions at the moment? Yes, indeed. Uh, And maybe just to add a little bit more colour, because UK equities... Uh, as a a set, are actually very international in nature. So although it sounds like it's domestic exposure, actually around uh, three quarters uh, of UK company revenues are actually derived from outside of the UK. So we still have to to keep a a broad perspective of of what's happening globally within um, economies uh, and to consumer trends uh, and within markets. But at a high level, what we have found in terms of positioning portfolios has really been around opportunities for capital growth and for income. And the way we found that has been to to blend some commodities exposure, particularly mining stocks, Really, as we went into the pandemic and we could see that um, governments were going to to need to add some um, stimulus to to really protect economies, 
uh, and to address the infrastructure deficit where uh, a lot of spending had been pushed into the future and never really materialized. I'm thinking here of the United States. Uh, and in more developing markets in, in Asia, there, there's still a lot of building out to do. Um, that, that's roads and rails, but it's also around energy infrastructure and utilities as well. So a lot of the mining stocks um, that, that are quoted in the UK market really play into that infrastructure build, whether it's for renewables, whether it's for, for pipelines and cabling. And so we had a look uh, at what was available uh, and like the valuations as well as the, the prospects. What we've seen over the last couple of years is actually some more supply constraints, and that's kept pricing quite high. These companies have had robust balance sheets and very attractive um, shareholder returns. They've got a balance, clearly uh, a number of ESG factors, um, environmental uh, and social, uh, as well as the, the governance sides, uh, and really to be fit for, for future. But they've served the portfolio very well in capital returns. They've been strong. In income terms, they've been fantastic providers of income for this portfolio uh, at a time when other parts of the market have been under more stress. Uh, and it's allowed us to keep breadth uh, of positioning uh, across other areas uh, of the portfolio, um, as well as be able to, to deliver to, to shareholders of the trust. And, and picking up on that that very interesting point there, I mean, obviously, we've had a quite extraordinary last couple of years or so, um, the pandemic. And if that wasn't enough, as we were starting to recover it, recover from it, the latest uh, situation between Russia in the Ukraine. But of course, during the pandemic, we had a number of companies either reducing or entirely cutting dividends for one reason or another, either because in, in the case of the banks, it was regulated or they quite simply took a position, uh, other stocks that they, they would be best not paying dividends for the moment. Being an income fund, did that cause you extra challenges at the time? Yes, indeed. So we, we had to be both both nimble, but keep an eye on the longer term. So what you don't want to, to be is unduly reactive. Uh, and we try to be dispassionate about our holdings uh, and look objectively to recognize that, that the world had changed uh, and to try and map forward our, our thinking and analysis for the, the new order. So there were some companies that, that exited the, the portfolio that we felt the, the prospects were sufficiently damaged or perhaps that the share prices didn't um, fully reflect the, the problems in the path ahead. Uh, and to, to pivot. So we did pivot a couple of sectors out of banks where there were a lot of regulatory um, headwinds uh, around income, but, but also potential challenges to those business models with interest rates really pinned to the, the floor. Uh, and we reinvested the proceeds into other financial services, including insurance companies, um, some real estate, where, where we felt the, the prospects were um, better on a risk-reward basis uh, as well as income. And then the other area was in oils for mining, because we had taken a view really prior to the pandemic 
that the oils were trying to do too much with too little. So they had um, levels of debt, levels of shareholder commitments, high levels of, of capital expenditure. Uh, and we found it difficult to reconcile that they could do everything and something had to, to give. And with the onset of the pandemic, the oil price came under pressure and pressured all, all of those commitments. So we'd already moved to an underweight position in, in oils pre the pandemic. We, we lightened further and reinvested those proceeds into the mining stocks that, that I just talked about. But when things changed, particularly in pricing, uh, and we saw significant cuts in dividends from the oil majors, as well as a step up towards investing in the renewables that, that are so required for our future energy security. And so we've had a period of reassessment uh, and we've added further to, to those holdings uh, as we came into the turn of the year 2020 to 2021 to 2022. So we are prepared to, to reassess uh, and to make changes to the portfolio. So it is fluid. Um, we do keep a, a longer term focus and within the portfolio, our average holding period is close to five years. But I think it is important to keep an open mind and when the facts change to reassess uh, and make relevant changes uh, on a best endeavours basis. I do wonder whether we're in a strange situation at the moment. Not so much that ESG um, has been put on pause, but rather around the, the current developments in Russia and Ukraine, there, there has almost been uh, something of a return to reality for some investors. Obviously, the defence stocks, which are a necessary evil in some ways, have, are seeing their days in the sun. And even a couple of the tobacco stocks um, are also finding their way into uh, the ESG space on the basis of, of reforestation or the way they treat their staff, etc. Um, but in terms of taking that longer term view, it's interesting because, and I don't know whether you've got a view as to whether ESG is indeed uh, on something of a pause at the moment. I, I don't think that ESG is on something of a pause, but I do think the the perhaps mantra ha, had been taken to too far um, to to a particular point, uh, and the the whole ethos uh, of environmental, social, and, and governance movements uh, and responsibility and sustainability. I think has perhaps become too narrow uh, and what we've seen is a broadening out and a recognition. I do think there are some very big reassessments going on uh, and in the world uh, and probably encapsulated by, by Germany's U-turn, not the, this weekend but, but the prior one, where around energy security, around um, arms to Ukraine. Uh, the, these are very big shifts. Uh, and I think reflecting on my investment career, which, which spans some 30 years, so we, we've seen the, the peace dividend uh, and seen a huge uh, benefit from globalization. The, there's likely to be a shift away from those things towards 
uh, national security of supply chains. We'd already seen that with, with the the trade war between the U.S. and China. Pandemic has caused further strains around supply chains. Um, Russia Ukraine ha has put energy security and, and could well put food security I into the frame as well. The, these are um, likely to, to lead to higher inflationary pressures than, than what we've been used to over the last 10, 15 years and possibly even the last 30 years. So lots of adjustments, lots of, of reflection required to really assess what the future might hold that could be quite different to what people's recent pasts uh, and frameworks have been. And it's a fascinating point because, of course, some were arguing that um, prior to the last uh, year, 18 months, that inflation was actually a thing of the past in terms of the uh, evolution of technology. Prices could only go one way and that was down. Uh, and we've recently, of course, seen the reality of the situation being rather different. Indeed. Uh, and we, we've seen big shifts through the pandemic in terms of uh, labour availability and labour pricing. Um, a lot of people felt that ageing populations would also be disinflationary. People having to, to make some of the, those um, reassessments to received wisdom. Uh, and just pausing for a moment to, to ask questions, to relook at, at the data. I think central banks have a very tricky job to try and balance the inflation pressures, which, which are, are global and, and come from, from geopolitics to a large extent, together with um, employment and growth measures uh, at a time when governments ha have stretched themselves with pandemic costs uh, and where consumers uh, are being asked to pay both for the pandemic uh, and probably pretty high prices for some time for, for energy. So with that in mind, and I, I do appreciate how difficult a question this is, what, what's your kind of outlook from here and, and, and without being too specific, how are you positioned for, for what you might think might, think might unfold? So I'll start at the high level in terms of probably returns are going to be trickier than investors have previously become accustomed to. So that, that might mean single digit returns. Looking at what stock markets could do, I favour the UK partly for valuation reasons. It has been more of a laggard, but it is um, lower priced and lower valued. It does have a lot of components that are reasonably robust for a more inflationary environment the, than some of the more highly rated markets globally. And I'm thinking particularly the United States here. So from a, a market perspective, I, I do think the, the UK is quite attractive. I think income will play a more important role in investors' total returns. Uh, and that's something we haven't seen in the last decade or, or so. Looking at, at, at sectors and stocks, it's a question of, of how are things already priced and valued? So where there's scepticism, 
where where growth might be underpriced, where some of the defensiveness might be underpriced. And so perhaps utilities, where there is an underpin of uh, inflation linking to, to prices, real assets, whether that's in real estate companies or whether it's real asset backing in the case of Hotels companies, I'm thinking Whitbread here with, with Premier Inns. It's a fantastic brand. It's well invested. They they haven't done a property valuation for, for some time. Um, uh, and they're offering value for money uh, as well. So they're at the more budget end, both for, for business and consumers. So these are the, the kind of things we like, as, as well as essential retail. So I'm thinking here about um, Tesco, food retail. We will still need to, to purchase um, life's essentials. And again, having a, a, a value to consumer proposition I think it is going to be very important going forward. Being able to leverage scale it is also something that, that I think it is important. So having quite a large cap focus within the fund uh, and being quite selective on those mid and small sized opportunities across the market. Fascinating times we live in. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So thank you very much indeed for, uh, indeed for your time, Sue, and for those valuable insights. Um, that's Sue Nofka of the Schroeder Income Growth Fund. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.